0: Hello, and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where every week we discuss issues impacting the business of food, fuel, fiber, farming, the industry that we all know and love so much. That is the business of agriculture. I've got a special guest today, a guy that I was on the circuit with. You know, that's what they say. You're on the speaking circuit. I don't really know where this circuit is. I'm not sure how one hops onto it, but I will say that this guy was at an event two years ago with me for Channel Seeds. His name is Matt Bennett. He runs Bennett Consulting. Smart guy, Illinois guy, farmer. Family used to have a grain elevator and he now is a commodity trading guy because today we're talking about commodity Markets 101. That's right. The subject today, Commodity Markets 101. Maybe you're a brilliant trader. Maybe you completely understand this, but if you do, if you don't, you can always learn something. I decided to make this my topic because of what happened last week. We had a little volatility on the global markets because of soybeans. We had a bunch of chicken littles in agriculture running for the exit, screaming fire. And I said, calm down. And that got some people worked up. So I decided, you know what? I've never pretended to be a commodity marketing trading genius. I'm, I'm, I talk about consumers. I talk about things I know and commodity markets. I'll just admit, I got to see an AgEcon 320 at Purdue University. I'm not a market trading volunteer. It's not my thing. Matthew Bennett, welcome to the show. Thanks.
1: I'm glad to be here. Appreciate being on.
0: Well, I, your enthusiasm is coming right through the microphone, Matt. I can tell you that, you know, I followed him just to give the audience a little thing. I followed my good friend, Mr. Bennett, two years ago, he got up and he talked about stuff that he really knows trading markets, you know, supply graphs, grain charts. And then when I got up there, I'd say a full half of the audience was asleep in their coffee, and I had a really work to get them. No, I'm kidding. Matt's a good guy; he knows a lot about this. I did wise apple him for having a, a little a little too much techno in his grain charts. Matt, talk to me.
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, just to reference what you just talked about, uh, as far as the global grain trade, I will tell you, I just spoke. You know, as you would, as as you know, you've been on the circuit as well basically all winter and in the last month or so when we've been talking about tariffs i just want to tell you this like i said you know what china's going to come out and propose that they're going to put tariffs on the soybeans and the reason that they're going to do that is going to be uh, to buy cheaper beans I, I i think that it's fairly obvious that the chinese are as good a marketers as there are out there so i think that uh, your reservations especially whenever uh uh whenever, uh, basically, people were saying it's going to take a while for this to even take place, even if we do see tariffs come to light, I think that you're uh, in the right there. And I think that that's exactly, you know, the market created huge volatility, a lot of opportunity for a lot of folks, which was nice to see. I'm glad that we saw it. And shoot, look at where bean prices are at today, better off than whenever they announced the tariffs.
0: Uh, we are recording this just for our listeners' sake on April 10th. That's Tuesday, April 10th. Six days ago was the big meltdown that people, my anti-fans on social media were saying, you don't stand to lose a farm over these tariffs. I'm thinking if you sold 100% of your soybean crop at the bottom today, first off, you'd be an idiot. Secondly, uh, you would be working on fear. And thirdly, are you really going to lose your farm? I don't know that I took the blame for that in any justifiable way. But here we are. It's a week later. Tell me where the markets are right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, so basically, uh, you look at November soybeans today, and, uh, you know, you had a report out, uh, and basically what the the market said was, as far as U.S. and global trade, you're tightening the balance sheet a little bit globally, uh, but with the U.S., I mean, you're still looking at that 550 million bushel carryout. Uh, certainly uh, uh, a robust situation as far as beans go in the US but demand is unprecedented so whenever you look at a global situation where stocks are actually tightening uh, it was viewed as a friendly report and so you know I think uh, November soybeans uh, you know to close the day out were around 1050 I mean a couple cents below Uh, and, and you know obviously you're going into the January report a couple couple, three months ago, you'd have given anything for 1050 soybeans. So uh, certainly in a really good situation as far as futures prices are concerned.
0: Okay, let's talk about futures because you are, by the way, talking to Matt Bennett, Bennett Consulting, and he is my guest on today, the business of agriculture talking commodity markets 101. I'm okay at this, but I don't trade grain. I cash rent my farmland out. I sell 12 steers each year to people for freezer beef. I don't sell stuff on the board. So I want to talk to a guy that knows all about this. That's why Matt's my guest. Basics of commodity markets. Let's start at the beginning. I've got a farm in Indiana. I've got, uh, you know, uh, I've got 40,000 bushels of corn. Take me from there.
1: Right. And so, you know, a lot of folks have said uh, we need to manage risk, especially whenever markets are volatile. So, you know, a, a lot of folks might say 40,000 bushels, I'm going to sell those bushels not a minute before I harvest. And, and that has worked out for some people in the past. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sell anything ahead of time because there's no guarantees. Uh, but unfortunately in the last, uh, uh, last few years, we've saw a lot of opportunities kind of come and go. Uh, last year in 2017 the high of the market was December corn around 417 uh, the previous two years in 2015 and 16 the high of the markets were around 450 all three years those highs were set in the middle of summer so a producer uh, I know don't really they don't really know exactly what their production is going to be but hedging some risk or managing some risk is specifically what we're talking about. And so to do that sort of a risk management, uh, maybe first of all, you can sell ahead of time at the elevator, you know, may just make a forward contract sale. Uh, that's one thing that you can do, but some producers are a little bit concerned with locking in physical bushels and that's where hedge accounts come into play. So, you know, you can open a hedge account, opening a hedge account doesn't cost you a dollar. Uh, but when you open a hedging account, a hedging account, basically you're putting yourself in a situation where you can put some, you know, take some risk off the table uh, by using paper trades, whether you're talking options or whether you're talking futures contracts.
0: All right. Explain the two of those. Let's just say I've got somebody listening and, and she's a, a brilliant agronomist, but she doesn't know anything about grain marketing. I'd say I've got a guy out here that's listening and he he sells John beers all day long in, uh, in Mississippi, but he doesn't know about grain marketing. You just used a bunch of words, forward contract, hedge account options. Talk to me. Right, and
1: so uh, as far as a forward contract goes, it's physical bushels with the elevator that you're you're, you're promising to deliver so many bushels at uh, the fall, or maybe you're going to forward contract for January. You can forward contract at all times of the year. Uh, you may have the bushels on hand in the in the harvest, and you decide to forward contract for spring because you've got bushels in the bin at home that you don't want to sell yet. Uh, so that's a forward contract.
0: So what I go to, is, I go to the, you the elevator. talked about I go to the elevator and I say, I've got my 40,000 bushels of corn. I'm going to forward contract 10,000 bushels in January because that's when I want to take my income. I want to take another 10,000 in March, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, you just run your numbers and say, this makes sense for me. This is when I need my cash flow. This is when I need my income. This is when I want to avoid taxes, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's why you forward contract the actual physical bushels, correct?
1: Yes, you can do it that way. A lot of folks have done it in the past to where, uh, uh, like I said, they don't want to do any forward contracts even until they get the bushels in hand. But uh, you know, the volatility we've seen the last couple, three years, it's been a little bit more important to have a little bit more flexibility, uh, try to be a little more creative as far as a marketing strategy goes. And so that's where your futures and options come into play. And so uh, you know, when you open a hedge account, there's a couple of different, there's all kinds of different ways to play this. But from a hedging perspective, typically we look at futures and options contracts. A futures contract is going to be a, a, man, a marginable position to where uh, if a producer right now, you, you're looking at uh, December corn uh, today closed around 414. The producer may say, I like 414, so I'm going to hedge or sell uh, December corn at 414, however many bushels, say you wanna do 10,000 bushels. When you do that, you you must know, yes, you're locking in 414 for a price, but if the market rallies, you will be paying a margin call uh, to keep uh, an amount of money that's appropriate, uh, according to the Board of Trade, uh, in your account. And so a futures position is marginable position. When the market goes against you, you continue to put money in that. Now an options account, Uh, When you're purchasing either a put option or a call option, whatever money you put up front is all the money that you're going to put up. And so there's a lot of different uh, uh, ideas here because, of course, producers don't like getting margin calls. And so uh, when you're looking at marginable positions, it's something that you need to understand very well. Uh, from an options uh, uh, you know uh, standpoint, yes, you still need to understand it because you could lose your money. But at least you're not you're receiving margin calls uh, every other day if the market's going against you. So uh, these are definitely things you've got to understand, but they definitely help you manage risk if used appropriately.
0: Okay, fantastic. I am gonna say all right. I've got this call. Uh, I'm sorry. I've got this this futures contract. I got this thing. You talk about putting in paying uh, paying down the margin call. Explain that.
1: Okay. So let's say we sell corn at 414. And then, uh, tonight, uh, China says, you know what? We love the U S we're going to buy, you know, a billion bushels of corn, you know, which this, that's ridiculous, but let's just say that happened. Uh, in that situation, of course, the markets would lock up the limit. Uh, you might go up 25 cents. Uh, and so whenever that happens, the market is moving against you because you sold December corn on the board. So when the market rallies, uh that 25 cents times your uh 10,000 bushels that you sold you know you're going to come up with $2500 uh to pay for your margin call and so anytime the market moves against you uh you have to put more margin money in your account and that's what is called a margin call
0: now the one thing is you just sold at 414 uh and, and you didn't have the actual stuff you didn't actually, actually have the corn right
1: You just sold on paper and so what you're doing is you're saying look I like the 414 price if the market rallies I'm willing to pay the margin call because I liked 414 that's where I could make money and so people who are really good at risk management that aren't afraid if you will of margin calls actually use futures contracts more uh in 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 my uh experience than what they use options accounts I think that it's a really good way Uh, to manage your risk. It's just you have to be very well knowing of exactly what's going to happen if the market moves against you. And so if you know as a producer uh, that you can make money, for instance, with uh, the bushels that you know you're going to have available, if a producer is buying crop insurance, you know how many bushels you're going to have available, even if you don't raise them uh, to offset uh, with a futures price. In that situation, uh, absolutely, you lock a price in And then you, uh, you know, if you have to pay a margin call, you pay the margin call. Whenever it's time to deliver the grain, you liquidate your hedging strategy and sell your corn on the same day. That's what's called a hedge. Now, some producers might be tempted, uh, depending on what the market's doing, to sell the corn and keep the hedge, but it's no longer a hedge in that situation. It's what's called a speculative trade. And speculative trades are something that, uh, there's nothing to offset Uh, Whenever you have the market move against you, a hedge, uh, as the market goes up, your cash value, uh, the value of your commodity, if you will, or corn that's out in the field continues to go up and you're paying a margin call. So they're offsetting positions, a speculative position, whatever you lose, that's what you lose because you have nothing to offset it.
0: Got it. So I'm, I've got there, I've got my corn in the field that's going up in value and that's, that's uh, offsetting the fact that I had to give uh, 20 cents or whatever it is against my margin call for the 414. Absolutely.
1: Right. So, so basically if, if, say you pay a 20 cent margin call, a true hedge, the way it's supposed to be working is that if you're paying a 20 cent margin call, then the value of your cash corn better be worth uh, another 20 cents. Now, there's a thing that comes into play here uh, called basis to where, uh, you know, uh, when you're in a situation uh, where you have grain on the farm, for instance, uh, what we tell producers is that grain elevators typically have made uh, their living by hedging uh, out into the deferred contract. So in the, in, in the fall of the year, basis is the widest. So basis is essentially it's how bad does the processor want the corn? You know, and the reason why your cash versus the futures, which is basis, the reason why the basis is so wide during harvest is because there's so much corn coming in. It's not because the processor just wants to be a jerk. It's because there's so much corn coming in that they're trying to discourage uh, corn coming in. And so basis widens out. And what, what elevators have done in the past is they've said, okay, when the, when the farmer sells me my corn, I'm gonna go ahead and sell this corn because the elevator has to. They're mandated by the federal government. They go out and they sell the deferred contract. All right, so they might sell March or May corn. And what they'll end up doing is, is that they already have the physical commodity. Whenever ADM or Cargill or Bungie wants the corn more than what they do today, that's when the basis gets better. And then the elevator system liquidates their hedge. They sell the cash. And they they harvest the return, which is then the increase in basis. So playing the basis game for a producer, uh, anybody who has bins is something they need to get better at. Uh, We could do a two-hour segment on this, but basis is certainly something that we don't want to ignore.
0: We could do a two-hour segment on this, and you're taking me right back to Joe Yule's class in 1990, Ag Econ 320, and it's starting to really gel with me why I got a C in that class and not an A like I did in all my actual economics classes. (laughs) All right, Matt Bennett, answer answer me this. This is why you're the expert and this is why you make a living. Talk to me about basis right now uh, with the the whole soybean thing with China. Uh, If I want to sell a truckload of soybeans today in uh, Windsor, Illinois, uh, how much am I going to be getting for those cash soybeans?
1: You know, actually, uh, basis has been fairly good locally. You know, we, we're running about 20 cents under the front month contracts, which would be the May contract. So, you, you know, you're still going to get around, Oh, I don't know, around 10 30, a bushel uh, for soybeans basis has been pretty good for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I will tell you this, uh, You know, just this week, I mean, we've actually had several sales of beans uh, on the export market. We sold beans to Argentina this week. You know, what's that tell you? That tells you the Argentina crop obviously wasn't very good. I want to make sure, I want to
0: make sure, I want to make sure, Matt, that our listeners that say, hey, I know about ag, but I am not a soybean person, why would that matter? Why is Matt making a big deal out of the fact that the US sold soybeans to Argentina? And the answer is.
1: Typically, Argentina is the third largest soybean producer in the world, and they're the number one soybean meal exporter in the world. Uh, Argentina, though, as a government, typically uh, likes to keep at least one entire soybean crop on hand as a hedge against fl- inflation. And so uh, they're having a significantly smaller soybean crop this year due to drought than what they typically have, but they don't wanna lose their soybean meal exporting business. so. They're buying U.S. soybeans, which happen to be the cheapest beans on the world market, inflation adjusted, uh, and they're going to crush those beans and then export them.
0: That's why for you, dear listeners, that don't keep up with soybeans, that's why that matters. Brazil, United States, Argentina, three big soybean producers. Which brings me to last week and the volatility. China... Used food and agriculture as a weapon, as commonly happens. This has been going on for years and years. Remember, from uh, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake, to Jimmy Carter's grain embargo against the Soviet Union. Food and agriculture is oftentimes a weapon. It is oftentimes a political bargaining chip. We saw it last week because our friends in China with 20% of the world's population said they're going to get even with Donald Trump over these steel tariffs. They're going to tariff soybeans. Ag went running scared, screaming chicken little, the sky is falling. And I said, calm down, calm down. This is one day. Dropped 5%, but we didn't close there. We closed down about 2%. Am I right, Matt?
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, I woke up just like everyone else. In fact, I had a, a uh, notification on my phone, uh, needed to check the markets. (laughs) May soybeans were down 59 cents. So uh, I knew exactly what was going on. Uh, You know, anybody knew what was going on. I think whenever they opened their phones, uh, corn was down 15 cents. And and bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, as soon as they announced this, people uh, go into full on panic mode. Uh, People had already presumed that this was something that was going to happen if they had You know, pardon my, uh, uh, you know, crassness, but if they had any sense, they knew that this was going to happen. And so uh, I I had told producers, you know, I I certainly wouldn't be making any rash decision. Typically knee jerk reactions whenever the market is like that uh, cost people a lot of money. And so uh, here's the bottom line on soybeans. So uh, China can't source all of their soybeans without using some U.S. beans. and The Chinese are very well aware of that. Yes, they could go ahead and burn through. Uh, basically all the beans that they have stockpiled but that is not the nature of the chinese they typically like to keep uh, these stockpiles uh, just in case the worst thing happens so uh, we know that they're going to come to us for beans at some point can they try to make life miserable on us for a while yeah possibly but the bottom line is again world stocks are going down and so if uh demand is outpacing supply that's uh produced uh, there's no question in my mind that uh, Panicking over something like that on a short—it's just uh, being a little bit short-sighted.
0: That was my sentiment exactly, and I said, you know, we do really have an intellectual property theft situation with China. We do have a deal where they say, you want to play ball with our 1.4 billion people, you come over here, set up our manufacturing, set up our uh, industry that we are going to nationalize, and you're going to be forced to give us your intellectual property. They also say, oh, you know what? We don't need your soybeans. They do. Uh, they do try to swing a big bat. And I thought that we really, I was disappointed in ag trade groups that did exactly what China wanted them to do. They came out immediately and denounced the Trump administration, denounced this as a bad decision. And trust me, the Chinese strategy was to sow discontent in the farm belt. You agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, all we've been hearing about is that farmers, you know, elected President Trump. Uh, and, and last time I checked, there was about one to one and a half percent of the U.S. population uh, engaged in uh, uh, production agriculture. So
0: uh, I'm pretty sure that we didn't elect him on our own. I It think gives, that, it gives uh, us a lot of know, credit. Gives us a lot of credit, doesn't it? Do yeah. you think that 3 million, three million out of three hundred twenty million did all that?
1: Right. When you look at the map, obviously, rural America was very Uh, pro-Trump. There's no question that that was the case. Uh, So producers would be presumed presumed to be uh, very much pro-Trump. And I would say that that was was probably pretty accurate. But the bottom line, I, I think whenever you look at this, you know, I don't want to speak for any specific trade groups, but... Uh, the bottom line, in, in my opinion, is that th- this is a volatile industry that we're living in. Uh, producers are much more inclined to be able to navigate this sort of volatility than what they've ever been before. And I don't think that having a sky is falling uh, mentality is probably going to, uh, you know, uh, be the best possible thing for producers, especially in a time of stress. I mean, there's no question, you know, we've heard about, especially in the dairy industry, you know, Uh, People have been posting suicide hotline. I mean, some of these guys are falling under a very significant amount of stress due to things that are out of their control. Uh, Is this something that's out of our control? Well, you know what? If the Chinese government came out and said, look, we're not going to buy any beans for the next five years because your president's a complete jerk. Yeah, I'd probably panic just a little bit, but that's not what they did.
0: No, and it's not what's going to happen, Matt, because uh, it is a global supply and it's a global demand, and they can say we're going to grab our beans from Brazil or some other place, then we'll say, okay, well, they're, they're, then they're going to go somewhere. I've also pointed out that trade is not the silver bullet that many in American ag believe it is. It was 30, 40, 50 years ago, but the Ukraine learned how to make soybeans, and South Africa learned how to make corn, and India learned how to grow wheat. We can't view trade as the silver bullet, like, oh, well, if we just get China to be our friend, we're all going to be back to fat and sassy. I don't think that's the case, because the globe has a lot of, as you just pointed out, the globe has had too much milk for 35 years, as an example.
1: Well, I mean, you know, bottom line is whenever you had uh, corn, five, six, seven, eight dollars, and soybeans in the mid-teens, uh, you don't think anybody else in the world was kind of scratching their head and saying hey, maybe we need to get into corn and soybean production if you don't think that was the case you're crazy because obviously uh you know world production has definitely gone up and it's gone up due to those sort of uh, price levels that we saw now whenever you take profitability out of the mix like we've seen here in the last three years i mean it's been desolate times for a lot of folks from an income perspective uh, a lot of producers have said, you know, what, we're going to back off. I mean, why do you think we only had 100 and, uh, uh, 177 million acres of corn and soybeans combined when most people were talking more than 180? It's because producers, one, is excited about planning whenever uh, prices were sub-10 and sub-4. So uh, everyone else in the world is in the same boat. You know, whenever there's money to be made somewhere, they're going to show up. And uh, whenever the money dries up, uh, they're going to go the other way. And that exactly... Uh, if you could have been able to grasp that in your economics class, you might have gotten a better grade than a C.
0: (laughs) Remember, I got A in all of my economics classes. It was grain trading. It was grain trading that I got a C in because I never was really into the grain charts. It just was not my thing. But I understand it, and I understand it better now. Uh, Here we are, Matt Bennett, in case you somehow forgot who I'm talking to, Bennett Consulting, sharp guy, smart guy, a grain trade guy, you're listening to Commodity Markets 101 for the business of agriculture. Biggest mistake people in agriculture make. You referenced it, and you said, without being calloused, because I got my anti-fans on social media telling me that I was calloused, I, I was insensitive. I said, no, I'm not insensitive, but this is, after all, a business. And so in business, one should try to make prudent business decisions. And you... Have referenced that again, again. Ways to protect yourself from risk in a volatile business. It's always been volatile. What's the biggest mistake people make in regarding commodity marketing, Matt?
1: I think one of the biggest, biggest mistakes that we make is we don't treat you know our farm as a business. Uh, and so I talk about this basically everywhere I go. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have had an issue uh, figuring up. Uh, break even prices for corn and beans let alone costs of production in the past and let's face it you know from about 2007 to 2014 uh, we made more money in ag country than we'd ever ever made in a seven-year span let alone maybe a 10 to 15 year span and and it kind of spoiled us a little bit Uh, you know I I farm you know I know we talked about that a little bit before but you know I farm and so I mean, basically I'm talking about stuff that I'm doing myself. And so one thing that we've tried to do is help producers, you know, remove some of the emotion from this marketing by treating their grain marketing as, you know, a business, we get a business plan together, if you will, but we call it a marketing plan. We have a marketing plan. Uh, that goes into place that includes all of our production costs. Hey, you know what? If you don't have any off farm income, it includes how much money you're spending to live. Uh, You know, we're trying to encompass everything because at the end of the year, I want to know not not only did I make money, but essentially did my investment uh, do anything? You know, did I have any return on my investment? So uh, the biggest mistake I see folks make in ag is that, uh, you know, sometimes we just uh, aren't good enough at the business part of things. Uh, we've gotten really good at production. You know, uh, there's no question. We're producing some hellacious crops. I mean, yes, genetics have gotten better, but producers really work their tails off. Uh, the hardest thing, though, is marketing. And it's not because they're not trying, but marketing is emotional. And uh, one of the main things you absolutely have to do whenever you're trying to market stuff that's worth Uh, this much money, whether you're talking corn, beans, or something else, uh, you have to remove emotion. And the biggest emotions I see guys struggle with is fear and greed. And if you can uh, learn to harness greed and just be okay with having a a good, uh, productive
0: year where you're actually making some money in these tough times, then I think you're going to be pretty happy. Tremendous advice. I actually agree. And I do talk a lot about fear from the standpoint of, Uh, you know, I just posted on social media yesterday. I said, does anybody remember the scene in It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey skips out from his wedding uh, honeymoon and goes into the building and loan and he saves the Bailey building and loan while the townspeople are worked into a fear-induced financial frenzy. And Potter, the the town shyster, has been on the horn telling these people, come and redeem your shares in the building and loan for 50 cents on the dollar. So, who profited? Potter. Just like people say China right now, kind of doing the same thing. Fear drives people to do irrational things. And in a business, it can be very detrimental. Matt, you're a sharp guy. One thought, one tip, one idea, one concept. Anybody in the business of agriculture can learn from you that's listening to this podcast right now.
1: Well, I, you know, a few things come to mind. Probably my number one thing for ag though, is that, you know, there's more people in the world today than what there was yesterday. Uh, people are eating better. You know, we talk about China and the middle class is rapidly expanding uh, the people that don't have much money are actually getting a little money in their pocket, but it's not just happening in China. It's happening in most of the emerging countries. And so while the last three years have been very stressful, uh, you know, I look at uh, agriculture as uh, definitely being uh, with a bright future. You know, I feel very good about uh, us being uh, the feeders of the world, if you will. I know there's other people in production agriculture, but you know, the US is definitely a, a uh, one of the leaders and is going to remain one of the leaders because we have excellent farm ground and we, you know, we have made agriculture a priority. Hopefully, we continue to do so. But I'm very uh, bullish on agriculture uh, because we're going to have to produce a whole lot of food in, in the future to be able to feed this world.
0: I agree with you. I would say that the other parts of the country, the world, have learned how to produce food also. But uh, as long as we realize at marginal. Below average ground is gonna probably not be where it's at because as you pointed out, we're amazing at production on our good stuff like where you are in Illinois and we're gonna to continue to produce more but we have a lot of hungry mouths out there to eat it as well. I always talk about Ag's great accomplishment. We we're supposed to have over a billion people starving 20 years ago. We've pared that down by 200 000, million people. At the same time, the globe grew by one and a half billion people so we're doing a lot of good things. I agree with you. It's been a little stressful. Matt Bennett, any other closing thoughts?
1: No, I just hope everybody has a great year. I know that right now it's a little bit late for a lot of folks, but everybody knows that we can get this crop in the ground pretty quickly. I think I'm going to keep a close eye and see what happens in the upper Midwest if they're going to get to plant the corn that they need to, because we get much under 88 million acres, and this could be a pretty interesting market this summer. I just want to wish everybody good luck this this growing season.
0: Matt Bennett with Bennett consulting. If you have a spare moment while you're toughing out the cold and gray that much of the Midwest and Plain States are toughing it out, go on Bennett consulting.net. Uh, this is Damian Mason. You've been listening to the business of agriculture podcast. I hope you enjoyed your commodity markets. One Oh one with Matt Bennett as our instructor. I think he's going to come back. I think we're going to have him again. He's almost like a friend of the show right now. Anyway, thanks for joining. We'll be here again next week. I do appreciate you, uh, being part of the business of agriculture podcast till next time.